This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business. I'm Nikki Beatty and we're back with another episode to quench your entrepreneurial spirits with business stories, tips and advice all in the mix. Today, we're raising a glass and tapping into one of the most lucrative yet difficult industries to enter, the drinks market, as I'm joined by expert entrepreneurs in the soft, caffeinated and alcoholic varieties. Coming up, we'll be speaking to this year's Voom Crowdfunder Award winner, Ollie Bolton, whose company What a Melon is making a splash in the natural hydration sector and aims to take on the leading coconut water brands with a tasty low-sugar alternative. But first, joining me in the studio are two businessmen who've made names for themselves in their own niches of the industry. And my first guest has done so by literally putting his name on the carton. A warm welcome to Jim Cregan of Jimmy's Iced Coffee. <laughs> and is it Jimmy or do you prefer Jim? Uh, Jim is absolutely fine. In the studio? Yeah. But otherwise, you are Jimmy's. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's even on your T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim's going to be sharing his incredible story of how he went from being a casual labourer and part-time mermaid entertainer to running a leading <laughs> brand that's now available in Sainsbury's, Tesco, Waitrose, Ocado, Whole Foods and more. The Whole Foods story is really funny and clever. I look forward to that and to working out exactly what a mermaid entertainer is. And also joining us here in the studio is an entrepreneur who's made history in the UK spirits industry as the founder of the first whiskey distillery in London since Lee Valley shut its doors over 100 years ago. Named the London Distillery and based in Bermondsey, the company also produces gin. Dodds Gin and offers tours and bespoke experiences to guests. I'm very happy to welcome the founder of the London distillery, Darren Rook. Hello, Darren. Hiya. Thanks for having me. I have to say, being next to Jimmy, I feel like I haven't lived life. What a mermaid entertainer. <laughs> should, we, should we delay gratification on okay. that? Or yeah. should we just spit it out now? Come on, tell us now. Um, that's quite a glorified way of putting it, I guess. Um, I used to be an MC and or master of ceremonies, as it were, and stand on stage and introduce bands and acts and kind of whip the crowd into various frenzies. Um, and to do so required a number of different costume changes. And one of them was a hideous mermaid outfit, which I've since burnt, which I feel <gasps> great about. Um, but yeah, it was quite fun and but, massively humiliating. But Jim, in a few years' time, 
paraphernalia associated with Jimmy's coffee could be worth a fortune on eBay. Imagine who'd have brought that mermaid costume. <laughs> now, um, Darren, both you and Jim have entered the drinks market, hugely overcrowded by big global brands. When you set up the London distillery in, was it 2011? We started out, um, we incorporated in 2011. Right. Yeah. And but what inspired you to actually do that? And also in London, which surely increases the burden of overheads. Yeah, so the overhead is definitely much higher. I think just to, to, to be clear, really, the history of whiskey production in the UK, London, the first record, so whiskey, the word whiskey is taken from the Gaelic Ushkaba, which was actually taken from the Latin for spirit of life. When you go back in time and you look in London in in 1060, Harold, King Harold, was actually making... Before he got an arrow through his eye. Exactly, yeah, before he got that arrow. Um, he was making a spirit of life, uh, Aquavite, here in London out of barley, which is basically what whiskey was. Um, so the record, the history of whiskey making in London is actually much older than Scotland. Ah. The oldest record in Scotland is 1494. So having this conversation with what's effectively my co-founder, a man called Nick Taylor, he was kind of like, well, if Tasmania can have whiskey distilleries and, you know, all these far out places, India and all, all, all these different parts of the world, but London doesn't have it yet. It has this incredible history. Chaucer and the Canterbury Tales, you've got Knightsbridge and there was um, a record. So the Yeoman Tale in Chaucer is all about whiskey production in Knightsbridge and that was 100 years before Scotland. So whiskey has two spellings. Yes. One is with an E yeah. and one is just with the Y. Yeah. And that differentiates an Irish whiskey from a Scottish one, or is that a myth? Um, it's a mix. So the spelling Ushkabar in Irish has extra vowels. Mm. In Scottish, it's got lesser E's, essentially. So there's a little bit of rivalry there. And what you see, especially in America, so in Ireland you have the Irish Gover and the Welsh, the big Welsh contingency take on whiskey and, and Scottish. So some of the bourbon producers spell whiskey without an E. So it's mm -hmm. really just about that kind of... Um, How do you spell yours? Without the E. Okay. Without the E. Whiskey takes time to make, often years and years. So how, as a startup, have you dealt with that in terms of cash flow? So, the yeah, you're just investing in casks and casks of whiskey, so you have to make money. And for us, it was it was kind of rude not to make gin. We were here in London. It was kind of pre-gin boom. Um, you see 2012, 2013, gin starts to pick up in the UK. And, and last year, there was something like 115 gin distilleries. And just to clarify, they're not actually distilleries, they're rectified compounders, so it's very easy to get the license. It's actually really difficult to get a whiskey license. Mm. So we sort of saw the start of gin being bigger and bigger and bigger and more popular. So we we were developing a gin actually called Capital Gin at the time. It was awful brand and awful name. And we stumbled <laughs> over the, the story of Ralph Dodd, um, who in 1807 tried to build the London Distillery Company. Um, so Dodd's gin is actually a tribute to a man who tried to do what we did. And the, the brand's a, a little bit of a nod to him. So the gin tided you over... Yep. Until the whiskey was ready. Well, whiskey isn't ready yet. So I, <laughs> I come from a, a whiskey background. Um, I used to work for Glenmorangie through the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and I opened and ran a whiskey bar in Newcastle, and did a little bit in Canada with it as well. So it's kind of 
I'm a bit of a hardcore fan, you could say, and, and I won't release it till I'm ready. Um, Jim, I would imagine that the production of iced coffee is a little bit faster than whiskey. <laughs> um, but, but what I'm interested in knowing is, when did you fall in love with iced coffee? And how did you make the transition from, for example, being the mermaid entertainer, the MC, to iced coffee magnet? Um, I think... You know when you, you've got a dream to go and do something amazing, mm. but you have a really nice job and you've got all of your security and your, your house and all that kind of stuff. Making the leap is really, really hard. Mm. Um, I think taking the leap for me was basically jumping from a burning building because I, I just didn't enjoy my work. I didn't enjoy my life. I was kind of 27 and I had like a cracking point um, working on a building site and I just kind of lost the plot one day and I was like, right, we need to just need to get out of here. So I took my girlfriend who's now my wife Soph to Oz and we just hooned around Oz for about five months just driving around surfing working hanging out chilling and it was just in a petrol station where I found and fell in love with iced coffee for the first time ever and typical Australia weather was amazing um, went into this petrol station and picked up this carton of iced coffee that I'd never seen before mm. and drunk it outside and immediately fell in love and then tried to try to work out right I'm going to go back to England soon I'm pretty sure they don't stock this product in England. I'm going to see if I can get a license or some kind of franchise or whatever of this brand and this ingredients. And um, spoke to the company and they just wholeheartedly said no four times in a row. Right. So I came back to England. And, Did they give you any reasons? Um, probably because my email address was jimbocregan at hotmail.com. <laughs> and I don't think they took me very seriously. Um, and... Uh, and then, yeah, when I just came back to the UK, it was the phone was ringing for, you know, come and do more labouring work, come and do more, you know, emceeing work. And I was just kind of like, oh, I just don't want to be doing that anymore. So mm. that's when I thought, I'm going to have a crack at this and had a little look at the market and just did some research. And that's when I kind of took the leap and, and cracked on. And so there was no other company doing this cartoned, mini cartoned, if you like, iced coffee? No, everyone else's does these kind of, it either comes in a can uh, or a plastic cup with a, plastic lid and a foil top and a telescopic straw and all this kerfuffly stuff. And I just wanted a solid carton that you can crack open, drink and chuck it in the bin. You run your business, I believe, with your sister Susie, is that right? That's correct. Is that a good dynamic? It's a mega dynamic, yeah. I think the most important thing is when you go into business with a sibling, you've got trust immediately because you just know you're both in it to win it. Um, if you suddenly just introduce yourself to a new business partner who you don't know, you never know what you know, skeletons they might be hiding in the closet. And I think in the first couple of years, it took a little while to understand all of our push and pull points and stuff. Mm -hmm. But once you've got the common goal, which is to basically do really good business, then you just go for it. And it's epic. Because people often warn others not to get involved in business plans with either a family member or a best friend because of how difficult it is to navigate if things go wrong. Yeah, true, but it's uh, they've probably had a bad bad experience. Um, but if you have a good experience, then you want to shout from the rooftop about that as well. So it's, it's it's case by case. And is it true that the two of you used to sit and wrap the product in a bedsit? Uh, we were in the bedsit doing the work, but we wrapped the product in a walk-in fridge um, <laughs> for twenty-five hours. That was yeah. We had we had three thousand kind of blank cartons made up with the iced coffee inside but no but we hadn't printed the cartons because you have to print 250,000 so we thought right let's just do a mini factory trial and then we hand stuck these labels on all of these cartons wow. and then when sampled them all around London and surfers and 
anyone who'd basically drink the product, and that's kind of where we started getting the bit of bit of traction. So presumably, you didn't have a, a budget for marketing. How did you approach these initial years then? Well, we were born into kind of Facebook and Instagram and stuff, and it's free. And Facebook and those kind of companies, they've, they've started to kind of tighten up what people see from posts and things without because now you have to do a promoted post for all of your fans to see stuff but about five or six years ago it was kind of like a free-for-all so we're getting a lot of traction on social media and doing the most low budget adverts that we could possibly make and then loads of kind of guerrilla sampling kind of techniques and things but did you always have that really distinctive cool slightly retro color of packaging logo uh, your website is slightly retro as well. Was that the aim? Yeah, that was the aim. We just wanted to make something that was timeless, and I hope that it's going to remain timeless and we don't have to change the logo. So that's never changed. And it's stuff that we like, and we really like some kind of Americana kind of gas pump style stuff. Yeah. Um, we like some English heritage bits and pieces. We really like road tripping, so we kind of try and entwine all of that into what you get when you pick it up at the petrol station. You get a sense of adventure in a carton. Yeah, that's a good thing to say. That's that's my pleasure. <laughs> Darren, many years' experience in the drinks industry, but had you had any experience in the actual distilling process before? Because I would imagine that that is a science, it's alchemy, but, like, you can't just become a chef. Is it similar? Whiskey production, yeah, you need to be much more scientific. For gin, and again, this is where you see the explosion of gin distilleries because it, it, it's that alchemy where it's touchy-feely and it's really quick and easy to make a gin in that sense. You know, you take juniper berries and, and essentially vodka and you put the two together. That's what gin is. Um, and then you build on top of that. There is legal requirements you have to meet, but um, you turn it around really quickly. It's a day or two. OK, um, you say you turn it around quickly, but um, I've heard the word botanicals used yep. when gin flavours are described. Yep. And haven't you done a special gin for Kew Gardens? Yeah, so basically, backtracking for a second, we went to Kew Gardens in 2011 and we looked to build the distillery there originally, but the former chief exec wasn't so keen on alcohol affiliation. Mm. At that point, I'd, I'd actually bought the URLs, qgin.com.co.uk, all those bits, just to, you know... I'd, buy up URLs as, as you sometimes do I don't know <laughs> but that showed an, totally, yeah. <laughs> but that showed a huge faith in the fact that you would have Q-Gin well I, I think it's a sense of belief you know mm. that, and, and, and I might be wrong in this but a lot of the people I know who have their own businesses believe they're going to get somewhere and they have to believe they're going to get there so we wanted to do something with Q so you just commit yourself to that if you don't have that sense of self-belief it won't happen I guess it's the difference between dreaming and actually achieving. You know, you have to find a way to drive it forward. So we went to Q and got these URLs. We were turned down at the time. And then the new exec, Richard, came in. And funnily, my co-founder, Nick, who's in his 70s, he's a member of Q, and he picked up the phone and to Q switchboard and he said, can I speak to Richard, please? And they just put him through. <laughs> and, he, and he said, look, we own the URLs to Q gin.com and co.uk we make gin for Fortnum and Masons we launched our original product odds with Fortnum's and this is the level we operate at we have international export we'd love to talk about a product so we went down and met Quincy who's a licensing officer and and um yeah the... but, but Darren what was the what was the time frame between so before you've even made the gin yeah. you'd registered for QGin as your URLs or all these yeah, various yeah. websites 
Then you're suddenly making gin for one of the best greengrocers in the whole of the world, Fortnum and Mason's, that little corner shop yep. that's the Queen's grocery store. Yep. So at that point, surely that's your calling card to anything. And what was the time between you asking Q and then finally getting the permission? So I think Quincy, who's the head of licensing at Q, she said we were their quickest turnaround. So we went down in July last year. We had a hour-long conversation. She sent uh, sort of heads of terms of the license deal for the royalties because basically we pay a royalty to Q for the use of their brand. And then um, I, I actually have a horticultural background way before I got into distilling, so it was an easy dialogue. To... You've done an awful lot. <laughs> How old are you? Thirty. Four, We're going to have to attach a picture to this podcast link so people can go, really, he's done all that? But, um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, we had a conversation. She sent heads of terms. I quickly proofread it over, um, highlighted some changes. She sent it on to their lawyer, then passed on ours, and within two weeks we'd signed a licensing deal. Um, then last year went down and Tony, the head gardener, gave me a set, set of terms, and he's like, go for it. And we just walked around and started. Clip, clip, um, clip. clip. That's clip, so clip, rad. So, yeah. That is. Is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're the only company allowed to actually forage Kew Gardens. <laughs> when you say things like that's so rad, as you just did, Jim, I just think of you being a surfing dude. And uh, although people listening aren't going to be able to see what you're wearing today, I can give it a dis- I can paint a picture on the podcast. Pink He's speedos. Wearing- Pink speedos. Done. No, they're not speedos. They're like surfing shorts. And he's got his own branding on his T-shirt. He's got a cap on, nice big beard. You do look flip-flops. Surfer dude. It is a healthy beard, by the way. It's a, yeah, Thanks, I'm man. very impressed. It's, very a, impressed. it's a huge beard. But I'm just, it, it, it sort of ties in to an attitude I feel your coffee gives out as well. Mm-hmm. Is that possible that a coffee in a packet can give you, you know, a cold coffee can give you attitude? I, th- I think so. I mean, our, um, our strap line for our iced coffee is keep your chin up, um, which is all about just being generally positive. Um, oh, I thought that was about tipping your, tipping your head back. Well, there's two reasons, yeah. It. If you don't tip your head back, then you are going to pour it all over yourself and look like an <laughs> idiot. Um, and my hat has got KYCU on it, which is short for keep your chin up, not... Um, okay. Someone thought it was the Kentucky Fried Chicken University the other day, which oh, was quite did fun. They? Um But, yeah, it's, it's nice. What we want is for people when they see our product on the shelf to go, yes and actually feel excited about drinking it as opposed to just liquid in a carton or a can or yeah. something like that. You've always outsourced the production of your product. How do you keep tabs on, one, the recipe, and therefore the quality? Um, you just got to make sure that the supply chain is always just kind of working properly, and we can do visits to the factory whenever we like because it's only about an hour and a half away from us down the road in a secret location. Um, so is that's it really a secret location? Yeah, why not? Let's make the magic. Okay. It's definitely secret. Okay. <laughs> Any tips for people thinking about building their own facilities versus outsourcing? Well, if you have four million pounds in your bank account, then go for it. <laughs> and that's it. That's the amount that you would probably need if you had. Yeah, because you have to get a. You've got to get your warehouse, and you've got to get your filling machines, mm-hmm. and then you've got to get all of your transport routes in, and then all of your health and safety and your staff. And by that point, your head would have exploded. And obviously, you have to have a great tasting product, and that's the key to the success. But you've also got to be able to sell it. And putting your foot in the door with major retailers is a major milestone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Jimmy's Ice Coffee, I think I've already mentioned, it's now stocked in Ocado, by Ocado, Tesco, Sainsbury's, hundreds and hundreds of stores everywhere. 
and Whole Foods, but didn't you barge into Whole Foods? Isn't that how you actually got them to stock you? Yeah, when you first start out, you get um, I get emails quite a lot from people saying, can I have the buyer's details for um, Sainsbury's, please? And you go, no, <laughs> you can go and find them yourself. Um, and buyers aren't going to basically respond to emails from fresh kind of new customers. Mm. So you've got to try and do something if you're that determined to get a product in. So we parked our crappy little Suzuki Wagonar uh, in the loading bay of Whole Foods and this chap who was just jet washing some cabbage off the loading bay said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here to see the buyer. Um, and he's like, okay, yep, that sounds cool, and took me upstairs and to this kind of reception that's really, really kind of tranquil and lovely. And, uh, and then he vanished, and then I was kind of stood there holding this box of iced coffee, and I heard these high heels like marching around the corner. I thought, oh, God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and uh, this lovely lady, I'm not going to say her name because otherwise everyone's going to email her, just came around and was like, and who are you and what on earth are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, well, my name's Jim, and I've started an iced coffee company, and I'd really like you to try it. Um, and she said, right, do you know you, you can't just barge in here? We're having a buyer's meeting anyway. You need to send an email first. And I was like, I don't really have time. I've just got to get this to you, and I really want you to try it. Um, she said, have you, have you had any food or drink experience? And I said, well, I eat food and I drink <laughs> drinks, um, but I hope you like this. So she took one out of the box and she said, um, in all fairness, we are actually looking for a nice coffee at the moment. So um, I'll be in contact in a couple of weeks. So that was just a big kind of grin day for me. But it's also, I mean, that took a certain amount of chutzpah, didn't it, for you yeah. to do that? Well, you, Would you advise other entrepreneurs to try such if, if you're 100% hell-bent on making it work and you have total belief, then nothing's going to stop you from doing anything. If you're worried about it, it means you're doubting your product or your business idea. And there's nothing better than being gung-ho and trying your absolute hardest. Because if you see someone putting all the effort in, you're going to pat them on the back and actually listen to them because down the line, they're probably going to work hard for you as well. And your product is sold all over the world? Um, we've done a little bit of export in a few countries, um, but it's not managed correctly yet. Um, so ideally, we want to hire like an export manager and then have a kind of brand manager and sales guy or girl in that particular country mm -hmm. just to really, you know, put the effort in to make it work properly. And will that be key to growing the brand or are you quite happy to have your brand locally in the UK? I mean, at the moment, I'm really happy. I'm in no rush to suddenly just be all over the world because if you rush things, you just make mistakes. Um, and it's nice to grow a solid team that's small at the moment, but they're just insane. Um, and as we go into export, it will help fund the growth of the business and the brand, but it's just an organic thing. So if it happens, it happens. What about you, Darren? Round the world exports? Uh, 17 countries. And we actually own our own distribution in China. Are China big whiskey drinkers and gin drinkers? They're getting bigger. They're big whiskey drinkers. Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese have a spirit called Baijiu, which is awful. It's the, the, the base spirit's <laughs> incredible, but then they add all these crazy herbs. It's all about virility. Um, so when they see a bottle of white spirit, like Dodds or like Q... Um, could, you, could you market that as a virility product? Um, yeah, we could put the right botanicals in, <laughs> potentially. What are the right botanicals um, for virility? Ginseng's a big one. Ah, um, uh, yes, of But course. then it's quite bitter. So, the, the, you know, there's challenges. We're actually developing a gin for the Chinese market at the moment. But I think, yeah, no, Chinese, Chinese like gin. Um, it's grown. There's a big cocktail culture. They're actually... I think I'm, I'm, I spent three months last year in China. and Whereabouts you know, in China? Presumably Shanghai, Beijing, big cities. So we have an office in Shanghai, um, a partner's based in Beijing, and then we go to Chengdu, Guangzhou, um, Shenzhen, all, all over China, to be honest. Um, 
But when you think of somewhere like Shanghai, it has 40 million people. So it's the size of the UK in a city the size of London. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I've oh been to word. Shanghai. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really mad. But a gr- but great cocktail bars. Yeah. I but you your company in China is has a different name. Gotham East. Gotham East. Yeah, and it's me and two other partners, and then we have a couple of shareholders. Basically. And that's a strong brand name and and a strong design, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. That's and, a and rad name. Sorry, I keep saying that that's word. That's a rad that's, name. That's a really, really cool name. <laughs> so the idea behind Gotham East, actually, is that the you know New York and London were Gotham City, the mm-hmm. were amalgamation in the comic books, and Shanghai has been designed as a London-New York amalgamation, so it's the Gotham City in the East. Um, I can't take credit for that. Daniel, who's my business partner in China, um, he's a massive American comic book fan and, and was like, we've got to call it Gotham East, we've got to call it Gotham Well, it's, it's clever. It's really yeah. clever. And having that standout name and yeah. brand in a crowded market is very yeah. important. In just a few minutes, we'll be welcoming another guest into the studio, Ollie Bolton. He won the Crowdfunder Award in this year's Voom competition and his company, Watermelon, has fantastic branding. We'll be talking about that in a moment. Uh, back to you, Jim. I wanted to talk a little bit about your unique approach to marketing and social media. Um, in many ways, Jimmy's Ice Coffee is all about you. It's really personal. It's your name on the carton, your front and centre of a lot of the publicity. In fact, you've gone as far as to record your own rap videos for Jimmy's Ice Coffee. Would you like to explain that? Um, yeah, so it's... Actually, let's just hear it. Woohoo! I'm a nice guy, creator of coffee that's iced. Package prepared and sold at a competitive price. Just a dude from Dorset turned liquid lordship. Now I hawk the awesomeness, you'll all adore it. I'm the PIMP of the FMCG, sending coffee from Christchurch to Dundee. I'm the host with the roast on the southwest coast, from the shores of Taz to the stores of Moe. I mix it silky smooth with my sister Sue. Ship it out to Tesco and Whole Foods too. Big up my Twitter. Oh, I love it. Of entrepreneurial pursuit And I could never be anything But a Bournemouth-based beverage king Now I'm leveraging every chin Just to bring you the fresh drinks The best of everything Come take a sup It's not hard, mother Just keep your chin up Keep your chin up Keep your chin up Hooray. Oh, cause actually, Jim isn't embarrassed at all by that. Uh, that is Keep Your Chin Up. That's had over a million hits on YouTube, hasn't it, Jim? It has, yeah, which is great. It's superb. And you can scan beautifully, may I just say. Scan? You know, get the rhythms right. Oh, nice. Words have to scan and be right. smooth, yeah. Learn something new every day. Mmm, you when, do. When you said you were an MC, I didn't realise you meant a rap MC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not just master of ceremonies. You're listening to the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business. It's a drinks industry special, and that was Keep Your Chin Up by our resident MC, Jim Cregan of Jimmy's Ice Coffee. I'm also joined by Darren Rook from the London Distillery, and a huge warm welcome to Ollie Bolton from Watermelon, who's just joined us in the studio. Um, Ollie, hello to you. Hey. Now, you are literally straight back into the country following your honeymoon, is that right? I am, well, I am. C- congratulations. Thank you very much. Congrats. Thank you. Is Thank that you. rad as well? No, I'd say that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> now, you also, apart from winning a wife, you've just won the Crowdfunder Award in this year's Voom competition for your drinks brand, What a Melon. Um, I've got one in my hand here. It is a natural watermelon drink. Did you ever consider recording a rap video to promote it? 
I do you know what the thought did cross her mind, but I think Jim did such an amazing effort, it'd be hard to beat his. Uh... I think you should out. You should have a battle. Do we keep, maybe battle. we could do that. Yeah, Let's watermelon do it. versus yes, ice coffee. Right now, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah, if you could, I'd be so impressed. I'll lay the beat, and you guys can. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> well, so far today, we've been talking about quite strong drinks, so caffeinated drinks, strong spirits. But you're here to sort of get us back into shape, aren't you? Because watermelon is a low sugar, supposedly like an alternative choice for somebody like me who might pick up a coconut water or yeah. want a healthy juice not so packed with sugar. And yet coconut waters are. So first of all, what a great name, Thank Watermelon. You. Thank you. Because it could be like, Watermelon, Watermelon. It's a little cheeky pun. It is, isn't it? Yeah, How it did is. this all happen? It all happened. I mean, it, it, originally we were looking at um, the natural hydration category, which has been the fastest growing category in soft drinks. And we chatted to about 600 different consumers. And overwhelmingly, people just didn't like the taste of coconut water, which by far dominates the natural hydration category. And at about 600 people we spoke to, I'd say 55% of people actually didn't like the taste of coconut water. Mm -hmm. So we started looking into tastier alternatives. So has the healthy drinks side or the healthy side of food industries always been something you've been interested in? I have been, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been in the drinks industry for almost a decade now. And so, yeah, like, you know, making drinks that not only taste great, that also are really good for people has been something that I've been quite passionate about. So what have you done before? Just give us a tiny bit of background so people know more about you. Yeah, so uh, our, our other kind of main product is called Alibi, which is like a sparkling health drink with vitamins, minerals and herbs. And then uh, we also do kind of other private label products as well for other retail chains. Like and... Darren does for Kew Garden, say, yeah. or for Fortnum & Mason. Exactly. And is the big thing today trying to sell somebody a product that doesn't have artificial products and also a huge amount of sugar? Is that the real drive of that yeah, side of the market? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, you know, like low sugar or, or no sugar is definitely a massive priority at the moment for people. And added value as well, you know drinks that have extra benefits what does this have in so actually the, the watermelon is a really simple recipe it's just two ingredients just watermelon and lemon mm -hmm. but watermelon has not only great rehydration benefits with all the electrolytes but it also has this great amino acid called citrulline and antioxidant lycopene and citrulline lycopene is really... what you find in tomatoes and it stops your skin burning it's it, it incredible is. it is yeah it's a great ingredient there's a really high quantity in uh, watermelon water but also citrulline is really good for muscle recovery. So actually after exercise, you know, which coconut water doesn't have. Ah. So it's great to help your muscles recover post-exercise. How fascinating, because I think so many people think, oh, coconut water, all those electrolytes, replacing the ones I've lost in my sweat. So you're in the early stages of launching the brand, and it's got a great name, as we've already discussed. Also, a fantastic packaging, because you've got Thank the you. colours of the watermelon, and it even looks like a slice of watermelon, doesn't it? So, um, branding your carton, how long did it take you to decide on that? The branding took about six months, I think, to get it right. My amazing colleague, Alicia, actually ended up doing the design in-house. Okay. So we kind of worked with an agency and we kind of, we weren't really happy where we got to, so we just ended up doing it in-house. But, you know, how, why we're really lucky is, like, the fruit is such a brilliantly coloured fruit with the crazy kind of green camouflage skin and the hot uh, pink flesh inside. So actually... The, we, nature kind of gave us like an amazing design to work with in itself. Yeah. And we've just replicated the fruit on a, on a carton. This is similar to your carton, isn't it, Jimmy? Yes, same one, yeah. Can you recycle this? Yes, you can. Good. Tetra Pak's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. 
And what would you say, Ollie, have been your biggest hurdles so far on the watermelon product? Uh, I think probably our biggest hurdles have been we've like been trying to work out a supply chain with any new products. You know, sometimes we've made too much, sometimes we've made too little. So like getting our volume forecasts and all of that sorted out has, has been a challenge for us. And just getting the word out there, really, you know, with any new brand, just getting it in front of people, getting people to recognise it, understand it. Um, and, the, you know, the Virgin uh, Vim competition was great to kind of generate exposure and awareness. And now where do you take it next? Any advice, Darren and Jim? Do you have any advice for Ollie? I normally go to Ollie for advice, to be brutally honest. What sort uh, of advice has he given you? It's more about just sharing stories, um, war stories, really, about talking to different buyers. And, you know, as just Ollie's just talking about kind of forecasting your supply and, and how much you need to produce and things like that. So it's it's always good to kind of run parallel with other drinks businesses that you get on well with. It's really useful. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you come across a, a buyer that might be a little bit more challenging to work with. And so it's actually quite handy to kind of have a chat and say, look, you know, are you also in the same situation? Or mm. I, I guess like smaller brands, it's nice to stick together because mm. ultimately we're competing with some pretty big players in the industry. Mm. I guess um, my curiosity is how you keep the watermelon consistent. I, I know for us with the gin, you know, botanicals change from region to region to region. So as you scale and the big question is how you do yeah, that. Yeah, you know? that, that's a very good point. And, it, you know, it's challenging. And with any natural raw material, there are differences with, you know, depending on seasonality, depending on crops. But we have, you know, we've got a great manufacturing partner we work with. We, we outsource the whole production process. Where are the watermelons coming from? They come from all over Europe, really, but um, Morocco, Greece. We try and choose fruit that has the lowest levels of natural sugar mm-hmm. uh, and the highest levels of nutrients. So we regularly test all of our different juices and we pick the best ones. Well, you mentioned, and I did too, that you entered the Boom competition this year. You came away with the Crowdfunder Award. In what ways has that helped you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, look, the cash reward is great. Um, and we're using that with a, a sort of supermarket proposal for a launch with a major supermarket. The awareness has been brilliant. Uh, Richard tweeted and Facebooked about the business, which has been brilliant to kind of get his support and to get the exposure and again generate awareness mm. of the product. But it's just been great with the crowdfunding element, all of the kind of lovely people that supported us. We've kind of built an amazing network of ambassadors and supporters through it. And Darren, am I right that you did something similar for the London Distillery? Yeah, we were actually one of the first companies to crowdfund on Crowdcube. So there was, I think there was only five of us originally. So, um, And I think this goes a little bit back to your question to Jimmy earlier of building your own facility or outsourcing and we actually massively undercapitalized. So we raised £258,000 through Crowdcube in 2012 and built a whiskey distillery on air, basically. It was fresh air. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, it's a big capital outlay. And, and realistically, I just saw today actually on Crowdfunder that there was the a distillery in Scotland raised £2.5 million to build their whole distillery setup. We did that on £250,000 um, wow. in, in London, which is just nuts to think of now and we had to go back and raise more money and then go back again to our shareholders so we're we're actually about to relaunch another crowdfunding campaign with crowdcube um in the next couple of weeks well good luck with that and uh, as we know the voom competition is a really brilliant way of getting involved with crowdfunding ollie any advice for people entering the competition next year i think well certainly if you're doing the crowdfunding side be as creative you can with your rewards your prizes so I think that captures people's imagination and they're more likely to share it with so their what, friends. what were your prizes? What did you offer? Well, we had this kind of product, but the kind of fun stuff we offered was 
And basically, we used money that we raised towards Bugger Double Decker Bus and branding it up. And we actually put people's faces for, like, supporters on the back of the bus. That's lovely. So that was kind of a little bit different and a little bit fun, although I've got an interesting story um, on a bus development to share with you in a sec. Um, and the other thing we did is we did a, a big kind of daytime launch party, like a beach party in Brixham. And, you know, people got an invite to the launch event as part of their reward for Lovely. supporting us as well. What's the bus story? Well, <laughs> we had um, two weeks ago uh, our driver basically... So the bus is semi-open top. Yeah. And two weeks ago our driver... Uh, drove it under a bridge, so it's now a completely convertible bus. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Man. You can imagine the scene of driving along with the roof half hanging off with watermelon and large lettuce oh, on the side. Oh, no! That's the yeah. kind of thing that could be potentially disastrous. Yeah, luckily, luckily Norm was injured. Thank but, goodness. Um, and, yeah, and the, 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 we've got a new driver, but, yeah, it was kind of uh, not ideal. <laughs> but, oh, dear. Um, Oh wow! It's all, fi- it's all fixed now. So uh... well, not only that, but that it's it, <laughs> business is about recovering from all sorts yeah. of things like that, isn't yeah. it? You can't plan for that. Darren, what sort of hurdles have you come across in the gin and whiskey market? Well, I think the gin market's now becoming quite saturated. So one of the biggest hurdles is actually the noise that exists in the market itself. Primarily, the most of the gin, so 80% of the gin made in the UK at the moment is made in three distilleries, one here in London, one in Manchester, and one in Birmingham. And they're all third-party products. So trying to communicate with people that actually, you know, over 300 gins are made in three distilleries, and here we are making something that's, you know, handmade, we hand-label, and, and trying to get through that noise is quite difficult. How the- do you get through the noise then? Is it via marketing? Word of mouth, the taste alone speaks for itself. What will it be? It's a, a mix, to be honest. So we didn't actually put much money into marketing. We didn't have the cash to put into marketing. So it's all been very organic. This is where we actually focused on overseas sales because, again, a big challenge in the drinks industry, which you don't see with the sort of soft drink side, is that you're paying an alcohol duty. And from a cash flow perspective, it's actually a big burden. So every bottle of gin that we sell, so Dodds or Q, well, Dodds is £6.90 a bottle in, in alcohol duty. Then there's your VAT and all the other bits and your margin. With Q, it's £8.91. So every bottle you sell, you have to find around £10. How much do they sell for? Um, Approximately. Dodds is around £37. Q is around £29. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I think that's a big challenge when you're starting out as well. And like I said, we undercapitalize, So we're actually trying to find money to pay the duty. Mm. And then I start to realize, actually, we can make the same margin shipping overseas, but all of our suppliers over, or all of our sort of distributors overseas pay the shipping. They promote the product for you. And, and then we go out and we do support work. So as a drinks business, I actually think it makes more sense to start exporting, which is why we're in so many countries. And, and this is where we've kind of said, look, the UK is really saturated. Let's not try and compete let's let people find it and there's a curve you know you see this really steep growth where bartenders get a hold of your product here in the uk and and they get really passionate about it and you know the next big thing and then after a year and a half it crashes and dies where we are now we're actually we've got this really nice long sustained growth where we're focusing overseas but also here in the uk bartenders are only really just starting to find what we're doing but we've grown it enough that we're starting to cover our bills and you know kind of pay back for the equipment and 
make our shareholders happy. Um, I think that's a challenge on the gin side. On the whiskey side, historically, and this is a very archaic part of the law, you had to have a still no smaller than 1,800 litres. And it was the idea was that you couldn't put your whiskey still on the back of a horse and cart. Uh-huh. So you couldn't ride it off into the, the highlands right. or wherever. <laughs> and, um, and, and luckily, one of my friends and a board member of the company, a man called Alan Powell, is the leading tax and licensing expert in the UK. And he, in 1996, when it was HMCE, before it became HMRC, mm-hmm. um, rewrote the policy and added a little caveat in there saying, if you can prove it's commercially viable to have a still smaller than 1,800 litres, the, the commissioners, HMRC, couldn't deny you a licence. Right. No no one really realised this. It's not necessarily a loophole. So we went to them with a business plan and said, this is what we want to do. And they, they actually came back and, and said, nope, it's not 1,800 litres. And um, <laughs> and Alan wrote an email, a very nice email, but a very to-the-point email saying, look, this is what I wrote in the policy. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, here's the business plan. And, and we got a very prompt email back saying, OK, yeah, we'll work with you and we can make this work. So it then took 18 months from the point of of getting that letter to HMRC actually giving us the license. So we were producing gin way before we were producing whiskey because uh, the other side is here in London, there hasn't been a whiskey distillery for Over 100, 100 years. years yeah. Yeah. And, and they hadn't issued licenses for easily 200 years. So the officers based in London didn't have the knowledge. You go to Scotland and they have that knowledge and mm. there's lots of distilleries popping up all over the place. You have to be quite tenacious. Yeah, and you've got to hold your nerve. And I think that's the same for all of us. You know, you really have to hold your nerve. And you're taking a risk. And I think if you're not risk averse, then, then, you know, you're in the wrong business as an entrepreneur. You've really got to hang in there. So any tips that any of you have for young entrepreneurs wanting to enter the drinks industry? I mean, the other thing is, if you've made mistakes, that you would be generous enough to let people know about so they don't have that pitfall. Um, That will work as advice too. So... Jim, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I think you've got to you have to take your time because we rushed uh, and we kind of just got by by the skin of our teeth. You've obviously got to have access to funds or have your own funds of some sort. It's really worth looking at the category as a whole and seeing who else is doing stuff. Um, the reason why we started it is because I was hell bent on making iced coffee and the what was existing currently in the UK was just a poor effort. So I really, and I hate the phrase gap in the market, but I really, really saw one. Mm. I think for people who are typically starting up a coconut water brand, you kind of just want to shake them and go, what are you actually doing? Because there are so, so many. And if, I mean, if you genuinely think that, you know, in five, six years time, you're going to be in, you know, nearly full distribution with someone like Tesco, then how are you going to prove to the buyer that you're going to be the one to do that? Mm. So there's got to be that gap. And you've also then just got to be prepared to, you know, sacrifice so much, sacrifice time, sacrificed, um, or time with friends, time with my wife, time with my kids, and you lose a lot, but then you slowly kind of get it back. And you just got to be totally prepared for that because it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And I think we make it all look easy, but well, you have to because you've got to make it look enjoyable. But yeah. um, it is, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, and he's exhaling. <laughs> oh. Well, well done you. And Darren, what about you? What, any advice or any sort of experience of something going terribly wrong? Well, I, I think, you know, our, our journey's been quite 
difficult anyway. I, I, I've had some personal issues that meant I had to step out of the business for six months with my partner getting ill, and and then um, we undercapitalized, as I said before. So, and then came back from this experience of personal issues and mismanagement. I, I don't know about you guys. Obviously, you've got your sister, Jimmy. Um, Ollie, I don't know if you've got a business partner. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But um, I did all this pretty much on my own. Like I say, my co-founder, he's in his 70s. And, and he, you know, he, he's a great guy, but he's not involved in the day-to-day. So I think it's finding a really good co-pilot, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to one of the other Voom podcasts, and it's something that I've been juggling quite a lot at the moment. I, I'm meeting a lot of people who have this second business partner who they work with, and it's about capacity. I think on the flip side... From what Jimmy was saying, make work-life balance. Mm. Don't don't sacrifice. Um, and I, and I, I've learned that the hard way. Um, and yeah, you, you, spirits are a little bit different from the soft drink side because you're you're out in bars and restaurants and it's late nights and nice. and, and it, it's really hard. But uh, two big takeaways for me: one is hiring staff and the right staff. It's really hard to find good people and and also learning the ability to let go. <laughs> So, which is, 100%. Which, which is really difficult. Ah, that resonated. Because <laughs> yeah. I think um, one of the podcasts I was listening to was with the guys from Pucker, and they were saying, you know, they did it in their bedroom. And That's uh, right, Pucker yeah, Tees. Yeah, yeah. And, and essentially, you know, we started out, actually it started out in my little bedroom study space in the house, and we developed the plans and ordered all the equipment, and then... I was running the distillery essentially on my own for a long time and then we hired someone, then we hired someone, but I was struggling to let go. It's trying to create that culture where you can let go and that you've, people feel like you trust them to do the job properly. Um, so, yeah, I think hiring the right people and don't skimp early on, really don't skimp early on. And if, if you are building something that has capital assets, such as equipment, the struggle is actually giving yourself enough money to do it so don't and don't undercapitalize and don't underestimate how much it's going to cost you know really we should have raised a million and a half two million when we started and we took a tenth of that and and we've suffered for it ollie just on that point it's quite interesting um we've got a kind of chairman now we didn't have at the beginning Mm -hmm. um so actually one thing i'd say is you know having like advisors you can go to with major kind of challenging issues that you have but one of the things that he always said at the very beginning was like um it takes twice as long as you think, and it costs twice as much as you originally think. But I'd probably say that, you know, it costs three times the amount that you think and takes three times the, the, oh, the okay. length. Well, certainly in FMCG. Um, the I agree I was, with you 100%. Yeah, I mean, but the other thing I was going to say on your point, Jim, as well, is it's so competitive, especially within soft drinks. You have to have a really, you know, unique offering and a really nice point of difference. And, you know, like with buyers and stuff, you have to be a bit creative to get their attention as you did you know you, you turn up you're a bit bullish about it um one of the things that we've had uh, like success in doing is we've carved watermelons saying coconuts so, so 2016 <laughs> and we've actually gone in and delivered them and with chilled product and created a bit of a scene in their offices nice and, you know got them a bit excited about it that's competitive um, yeah. very competitive but yeah team you know team advisors i've got a great business partner tom proxer i work with and we complement each other and i think that's also really you know, important if you're working yep. with people. Well, that's nearly yeah. the end of this episode. But what I would like to ask you all very briefly is to say what the most fulfilling part of your job is. Jim. Of um, 
I think the fact that my dream has completely kind of come alive and it's running its own thing at the moment and we're not flying by the seat of our pants anymore and we've actually, I'm in a really happy position at the moment and especially because I've just managed to buy a house uh, for my wife and babies, it just, it's a it's a really fulfilling feeling and I just hope that we can just keep kind of stable and confident and just keep cruising and enjoying. Good. Darren? I think it's having a positive impact, whether it's hiring people, you know, job creation, um, or it's helping farmers. We work with some incredible farmers and what we do in China where we're hiring people out there and, you know, having a global global impact that's really positive. Oli? I think, I mean, we actually we've just become a B Corp. Um, so we're the first European soft drinks company. It's like a fair trade stamp for, for a whole business. No other drinks company? Uh, there is a water company, but no other drinks company at the moment. That's um, impressive. So it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting scheme, definitely worth investigating. For me, the thing that I really love about what we do is, you know, we create drinks that are good for people. So I love the idea that when people are enjoying our products, it's also like adding value to their health as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the main things. It's that, life affirmative. Yeah, As all your products are, gentlemen. So, we have two delicious-looking bottles of gin on the table and we have cartons of chilled watermelon, watermelon water. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? (laughs) Watermelon, watermelon water. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do your your voiceover for you if you want me to. Okay, (laughs) deal. Watermelon, watermelon water. (laughs) Is there a great combination of cocktails we can make with all the drinks we've got at this table today? Yeah, I think, you know, let's let's go back to the rap thing with Snoop Dogg and gin and juice. Um, so, you know, watermelon juice and gin is banging. It's, it goes together really well. Over ice? Then, uh, yep, yeah, yeah, over ice. So just straight in the bottle, whichever you want, take a sip out and top it up with gin. Right. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're hard. On the move. I've, actually, I've, the move, done, yeah. I've done that, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, gin, gin and juice is a classic one. So I'd say that's the first one in. And then coffee-wise... Um, I don't know enough about your range, Jimmy, but I think coffee... And... I'll tell you about the range. Yep. So there's a Go mocha it, yeah. version. Nice. There's a full-fat version. Yeah. No, you can do it. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. Well, no, there's... you've got a skinny version. We do a, semi, a semi-skimmed, yeah. a skimmed and a mocha, yeah. 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 So we do... We'll typically do... Um, kind of like a white Russian. So we'll just have a really Beautiful. decent vodka like um, Black Cow, which is a pure milk vodka from Dorset, which is insane. That's what Boom. we've been using. <laughs> oh, amazing. You know, with your beard, it's very big Lebowski to do white Russians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, actually, uh, we actually took over an old school cinema in our hometown in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago and we played the big Lebowski. Amazing. And we served a load of white Russians and we actually had two dudes turn up <laughs> as the dude in their dressing gowns. Oh, how brilliant. And they loved it. Yeah, super how fun. Wonderful. Yeah, it's the plaid on your shorts, I think you could see. <laughs> That, you know, it's, um, the, uh, yeah, no, you should try it with, with gin. The well, white Russian mixes up really well, as a, as, especially try it with the mocha because you get that nice kind of chocolatey note coming through. I think, you know, the, the, with Dodds, one of the things we do, a lot of gins have coriander seed and it doesn't work well with coffee. We've actually dropped the coriander seed because I don't like it. Um, <laughs> so there. Uh, yeah, yeah th- so there. And um, we use bay leaf, which is high in eucalyptol. And you've got black cardamom as well, which is mm. from northern India. Yeah. And, and, um, and and it's got this light. We, we de-pod it because the pod's smoky, but the seeds themselves are, again, high in eucalyptol. So you get this nice menthol. So actually with the chocolate coffee, you get a really nice menthol. Oh, it's like an after-dinner mint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so you yeah. get your coffee, your mint, yeah. and your alcohol. Also, I don't drink Baileys, but I discovered that 
Belgian luxury chocolate Baileys. Oh, amazing. Oh, do you like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's but that, with, with the mocha... Yeah, it would be pimp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. delicious. Yeah. Right, should we say cheers and off we go then? Rock and <laughs> thank roll. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having thank us. Yeah, thank you. you. What mm. a joy. Thanks. Let's yeah. get whipped. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Thank you to my guest, Jimmy Cregan from Jimmy's Iced Coffee, Darren Rook from the London Distillery and Ollie Bolton from Watermelon. The Voom podcast is a PixU production for Virgin Media Business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review to let us know what you think. And remember, you can find loads more entrepreneurial content, articles and podcasts over at virgin.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time, but until then, from me, Nikki Beatty, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.